You're listening to the No Hacks Marketing Podcast. Each week, we take a deep dive into online marketing topics covering search, content, CRO, social, and performance optimization to help you level up your marketing. No hacks, no shortcuts, only long-term success. Here are your hosts, Slobodan Manich and Katherine Kambau. Welcome to a new episode of No Hacks Marketing. Today, we're going to go deep on the future of email. Given the latest privacy-led updates, is it still one of the best channels to invest in? And to shed some light, I have Adam Kitchen, the co-founder of Magnet Monster, an email and SMS marketing agency for e-commerce brands. They've helped over 100-plus businesses achieve 15 million email-attributed revenue. A bit of trivia, and I'm going to give myself a disclaimer. I don't know much about football, except that football is life, according to Ted Lasso. But we have a Manchester fan living in Liverpool, which is exactly not the best scenario from what I've heard. Adam, welcome to the show. Wow, you did your research on me, but I try not to follow football too much these days because of how bad we are. So thanks for putting it out there. <laughs> yeah, I, I did some digging. I'm really excited to have you here. This is actually the first time that we're going to touch on email, and I'm excited to hear your thoughts about this. Let's dive in. So we're going to talk a lot about privacy in the next half hour, which is something marketers should be aware of, especially in 2022 and moving forwards. But let's start with something you mentioned in a webinar. I, you said that what marketers should get wrong is that email is not a revenue channel. What do you mean exactly here? Because we're talking about e-commerce and I would literally wake up every day to an email saying, Here's your last chance to say 50% or the sale ends at midnight, et cetera. So really curious to hear your perspective here. Yeah, it's it's a good topic. It's not that it's not effective for generating revenue, but it's unfortunately being pigeonholed only for this purpose. And I think this is just the most basic thing that you can do over email. And there's a limit, right, to how much revenue you can generate once you have the core automation and campaigns set up then you start to hit a bit of a brick wall and it doesn't matter how you increase the frequency or what type of tactic you deploy, your revenue is going to be around about the same. Unless you're a massive store and you really have huge amounts of data to do sophisticated things with. But for the majority of people, you hit a brick wall at some point once you set up the fundamentals. And then you need to look at other purposes to email and most marketers neglect them either because they're not aware of them or they've just siloed the channel to only work in this context and email is an amazing tool for qualitative research for collecting zero party data progressively profiling customers distributing content collecting more ugc there's so many ways you can use email to improve the whole business and not just by driving sale but most people neglect these touch points why they do this I'm not sure. I think from an agency perspective, a lot of agencies like to demonstrate value, obviously based on revenue. So they sort of double down on this and exclusively focus on it in reporting. We trying to differentiate by obviously leveraging all these type of strategies and showing these to the brands that we work with as well. Because at the end of the day, you, you need to support the whole business, not just the channel. And most marketers are just focusing on the revenue from the channel. But your real goal is to support the business's profitability. And the only way you can do that is by taking a holistic, high-level view of how email interacts with the whole ecosystem. So that's 
that's the more advanced way to approach email and that's what we're trying to position ourselves in. Right. I read about that LinkedIn post and I think that because it has been conventional practice to put out sales, sale campaigns every now and then or every so often, people just keep doing it. But I, I as a consumer can say that I am getting conditioned to just wait for the sale then and not purchase when I really need the product. So that's a, a good way of looking at things. So going back to our main topic, so I think you'd agree with me that 2021 was like maybe a, a remarkable year in terms of privacy. There were a lot of privacy-led updates. Let's just focus on Apple since we're talking about email. And they rolled out the mail privacy protection back in September 2021, I believe. Do you think the brand mm-hmm. suffered when they rolled this out? And what was your experience like with your clients? So there was a lot of doom and gloom when this came about. And obviously we were worried as well, like everyone, because nobody really knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the re- since the reality has played out, I haven't noticed a massive effect on the accounts that we manage. Obviously, open rates is hugely inflated now due to the volume of people that use iOS devices, but it's mainly affecting your revenue attribution within the channel so for example if you're using Clavio, then because apple's prefetching like all images and inflating the the open rates open rates sorry then obviously if you use an open rates based attribution model which a lot of vsps do then you're going to see email performing way better than it actually is and whether you want to switch to like last click or even narrow the attribution window based on clicks is, is an individual choice for the business but ultimately, we haven't seen it affect the brands we work with that much at all. Uh, email is still a very powerful channel. still right. works. Mm-hmm. It's not stopping people from receiving emails. You just need to be a bit more sophisticated in how you segment to make sure that you're not emailing to unengaged people who are using an iOS device who may be recording as opens. But over time, if you continuously to email these people and they're not really engaging with your emails, then that can harm your deliverability. So the main changes are you need to segment preferably by device. So sort of filter out iOS devices and center these separately and use different criteria. For example, active on site clicks and other engagement metrics, metrics based on purchase behavior, maybe. Do you think that the strategy for email marketing has shifted because of these rollouts or it's just more of like interpreting the data? Is it roughly still the same? There's there's definitely been a little bit of shift in in strategy as well. So before, obviously, if we use ourselves as an example, we would deliver Mm -hmm. a lot of content within the body of the email. And our methodology behind that is because there's no need to send somebody to the website to consume high value content if it can be delivered in the email itself because you're now like curious to whether someone's actually consuming that content or you need to find ways to to measure the engagement so there has been a bit more of a shift to host that content on the website and then obviously drive click-throughs so that they consume it there it's, it's a bit of a catch-22 because obviously now you're adding a layer of friction in and I'm a big believer of keeping things native to the platform. If someone opens their email, it's because they want to engage on email. There's no real necessity to send them to the website. So clicks are still flawed in that context as well. It's not just as straightforward as saying, oh, our open rates are gone. We're just going to use clicks. Well, actually, people were 
concealing the content before within the email itself. So now you're forcing them to go to your website, which is not really a great user experience when you think about it logically. But that's that's been a shift, definitely. Some people are doing that purely based on the fact that they need those engagement metrics to segment people accordingly. So it's not great for the, the customer, but it's a bit of a, a necessity sometimes for the brands to do more of that. But overall, not real massive changes in strategy, as you said, it's just more interpreting the data and segmenting on the front end on a campaign level. Right, right. I was curious about that. Are more people now adding links and CDAs, more CDAs, just so they can measure the clicks and the actual engagement? And that's what you're seeing, basically. But are you saying it's not really the best solution? It's it's a bit of a catch-22 again. I think it's it's becoming more prevalent. And also you'll see sort of stop gaps, like an email program every three months or so, when people will consciously say, we're going to unsubscribe you unless you click or you let us know that you're still engaged. And I think that will sort of expedite as a strategy. More people will adopt that just to make sure that they're not sending to people who are just completely disengaged with the program. And again, the reason people are doing that is because inbox providers like Gmail, Outlook, et cetera, will use a, a criteria to determine the, the quality of the center. And if you're sending to people who aren't engaged with the emails, but you don't know, then you could be harming your deliverability and inbox placement. So it's definitely going to become more prevalent. You'll see a lot more going forward. Right. And um, I think even before the privacy rewards, the main thing with emails is that you can segment your users, right? So because we're seeing a more focus now on engagement metrics, does that mean necessarily that your segmentation will be better as well? It's, it's, a, it's a good question. It's tricky to answer. I, it's, it's very hard to say. Will it be better? I think people will just try and work around and get reach the same audience as before. So I don't think even a lot of people are saying now collect more zero party data. Right. It doesn't really affect segmentation that much because most of your segmentation is based on broad scale advertising. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is you want to maximize the reach of customers that you can deliver your message to mm-hmm. because you haven't got unlimited resources. So even if you're collecting zero party data on the front end, in my opinion, it's not going to affect your segmentation and targeting that much because you're trying to target and get your message delivered to as many people as possible. Now you could say the kickback to that is why don't you go super granular based on the preferences people gave you. But I actually made a post about this on LinkedIn a couple of days ago. If someone is in a clothing store, for example, and you're selling the bar and they buy shoes from you, and but you also sell t-shirts, polos, jeans, dresses, it can be a mistake to just send content about shoes to someone who says, oh, I love buying sneakers because the reality is those people may also buy shirts, jeans, active wear. Just because you've got that zero party data, you have to consider the resource allocation. So you can create a super granular segment and say, okay, I'm only going to send this type of content to people who buy shoes or love shoes, but Customers have overlapping interests. So again, most of the time, you're going to want to target the whole market with your messaging. And that obviously will mean like broad metrics, for example, clicks, opens, general frequency or recency. 
So I don't think even zero party data will change things that much. You should still aim most of the time, not all the time, most of the time to connect with as many people as possible in each email. Right. That's that's very interesting. I wonder what John Ivanko recommended you the podcast. So I'm wondering what he would say about that because he's very into zero party data. We have him here, had him here to talk about that. But that makes sense. Like what what makes sense to your customer? It doesn't have to be very product type specific, but what is relevant to them. So a lot of people are talking about zero-party data, permission-based marketing. What is your advice for growing list now that there's all about this, that it should be permission-based, privacy-focused? Is it harder to grow your email list now that because of these updates? It's not harder to, to grow your email list. I don't think so anyway. It's harder to send more relevant contextual messages to people who are engaged. But again, I don't think it's a massive change for email. Definitely for ads acquisition, it, it's a lot more challenging, not necessarily these iOS 15 changes, but the the recent sort of privacy updates are harming the acquisition much more than the retention or remarketing side. And I think the reason for that is, is because once you've acquired someone's data, it's much more easy to remarket to them as opposed to finding the right audience in the beginning is where that data really, zero-party data especially, plays a much more helpful role. Not to say that it's not useful once you do acquire the customer, of course, then you can tailor the messaging to them, but not as much as people think. I think it's a little bit overstated at the moment how important that is for sort of retention, remarketing. I think for finding audiences, and I think going back to John Abanko, John will probably agree. I think it's much more important for front-end acquisition and just finding out like your positioning of a business of, of your business, like who to target, which audiences to collect. But once you've acquired that data, I don't see it having massive implications for how you remarket to people with email specifically. So yeah, I think it's uh, it's very important. It can help improve the business massively, but it won't massively impact the email strategy. It will change it a little bit, especially the, the post-purchase experience and welcome flows, for example, because it'll help you be more targeted with your messaging. But when it comes to what moves the needle the most over the long term, which is campaign emails, then I think you still want to keep the strategy relatively broad. Right, right. And because you mentioned retention and time value, I think a good way to end this step, this topic is if we can ask you like three actionable strategies for small e-commerce businesses who doesn't have that much budget. I know you love um, sharing this free playbook on LinkedIn. That's why I, I read your post a lot, but I think our listeners would love that. Free strategies. Okay. So, so this is for maximizing lifetime value and retention rates. Sorry to do Yep. So the first thing I would say is don't overemphasize how much you can impact retention, especially if you're a new brand. One mistake I've seen is that People come into e-commerce, they see this, especially D2C, they see the price of ads and they think that they need to really double down on retention because it's very expensive to acquire customers. And I'm not saying you shouldn't provide a great customer experience or have a great product. Obviously, that's prerequisites to any brand that's going to have longevity, but 
don't think you have a huge amount of influence on how much you can increase that retention rate because you can't and you're really optimizing for incremental gains but when you're trying to grow in the beginning it's much more important to continuously acquire customers rather than optimize for keeping them so that will move the needle a lot more and by growing your market share as a byproduct of that you will increase retention and loyalty because you'll have more brand awareness so that's the first thing is might be a bit counterintuitive for me as a suppose I'm a bit of a retention marketer to say that but if you're in the beginning of your company or even if you're still a small business medium focus primarily on finding new customers because you can't move the needle on retention in the way you think you can the second thing i would say is don't look at D to C in a silo, like you don't have to just be on a five store. Mm-hmm. The reality is consumers are in retail, they're on Amazon, they're using marketplaces, your customers are everywhere and you need to be everywhere to reach them. The reason Coca-Cola, Nike, Adidas, the biggest brands in the world is because they're available to buy everywhere. And as a byproduct of that, obviously your repeat purchase rate and retention will be high. I can go downstairs and buy a Coca-Cola from the convenience store to Costco over the road. I can buy it online. I can buy it on Amazon. That's one of the reasons that the retention rate is much higher for well-established brands. And that's a bit of a misconception as well. People think, oh, they love to support smaller brands. I think the theory sounds nice, but the reality is people like a great product and they like convenience. So don't look at D2C in a silo, try and make your brand available to buy as many places as possible. And that will move the needle on retention and lifetime value a lot more than any type of strategy on a, on a Shopify store. The third one, let me think of something. Do, do research into your customers and mm-hmm. obviously find out what matters to them. So I think this is where zero party data can definitely help and qualitative research. And this is where we've tried to as well improve how we do email marketing so once a customer has been acquired that doesn't mean you you just treat them the same way as everyone else they've, they've got a lot that they can tell you these customers mm-hmm. you can find out less friction as to why they weren't going to buy you can find out more about your competitors from them this there's so many things you can find out from your current customers that can actually improve the full cycle of marketing everything from retention to improving your front end acquisition strategy so use research as much as possible through email through sms to improve the overall business and don't neglect that that's a good way let me just quickly recap learn to find your customers be accessible and use user research i think yeah you're right more people just continue reminding them to buy again buy again but they're missing that potential to actually get to know the motivations of the customers. So we're down to the last part of this podcast, which is what I'm excited about. We asked some of your friends on LinkedIn if they had a question for you. So the first one that we have, and I hope I pronounce his name correctly, is from Christian Hoppe from Vienna. Yeah. He has two. So I'll go with the first one. I would love to hear his personal story of how he got into email marketing. When I was 10, a classmate asked me what search engine we use at home. And I thought it's a machine in our basement. Curious, what is his story? How's that get into email? I'll try and make it, it's a long story, but I'll try and make it short. It's funny, actually, I was speaking to someone the other day 
Mm-hmm. And he said something I resonate with. He said, you don't really choose to go into email marketing. You just fall into it. And I completely <laughs> agree. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's not something that you grow up as a kid saying, I want to be an email marketer. But I was working in e-commerce from 17 years old for a big sports supplement retailer in the UK, I think I mentioned to you. And back then, everything was custom coded from the ground up. And we used to use constant contact and we would create a newsletter once per week. And that was like my first introduction to it. I would build the newsletter. And I've always been super passionate about content and community building. I just love that aspect of business. So it was it was natural for me to fall into the, the CRM side. And when I lost my own econ brand a few years ago, then I went back into the, the agency world and just went niche on email. So that's the short story of how I got involved in it. Great. Well, that was very interesting. I heard the detailed version of that, but our listeners, I'm sure, are interested to know. The next one from him, he says, how many years ahead do you think email will stay the most relevant on channel? That's a good question. It's difficult to predict as well. I mean, we've been Mm -hmm. hearing for decades how email's finished and it's on the demise. And I think definitely like the younger generation, they're not using it in the same way. However, I think just historically, if we look at how long email has been around, right. I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. And I think it will stay the, the primary owned channel for customers to be have intimate relationships with brands. Brands just need to provide a better experience. People still open and engage with emails, even young people. It's just mm-hmm. that they don't engage with the majority of them because it's all very much the same of the same. So we need to alter our strategy to make the emails more relevant and the customers condition to want to open them as opposed to thinking, okay, which channel should we move across our shitty strategy to of like bombarding the customers with with coupon codes? No, we just need to produce better content and provide a better experience. Right. And I will follow that up with a question from Kobe. I will not attempt to pronounce his full name. He says, you'll know him as Kobe. And he says, hi, chief. As someone who has been around the email marketing ecosystem and as a business owner, will you say email marketing will be around for the next five years at least? 100%, yeah. I mean, I'd be very worried if it wasn't going to be. I'd probably try and find (laughs) it. We just hired a lot of staff, so I hope it'll be around for the next five years. It's true. And he's also asking, when are you visiting Nigeria? And then the last one is from Jason Greenwood, who is from Auckland. How soon will retailers need to think about their brand and the metaverse? How soon will retailers need to think about the brand? I am probably not the best person to, to ask this. I think it's the metaverse thing, I think, has been, again, like there's a lot of hype on it on the moment. Mm-hmm. I think obviously with time, it will take off. I think people are just overexcited a little bit at the moment and have that shiny object syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I understand people want to be the first to adopt something and roll it out, which is, is definitely important and it's a great growth strategy. But I think we're, we're not into that period as much as people are making out, especially like it's very niche, right? It's even like mm-hmm. cryptocurrency. You could say it's mainstream, but still the application, it's, it's not really... So I think it's still relatively niche. It makes mm-hmm. sense to stay knowledgeable and involved and have a, a conceptual understanding of how this will impact your brand going forward. But for me, at least, I don't think like it's ready to go all in on it right now. I think you, it can distract you from things that will move the needle in the here and now. Yeah, 
Seems like it's still a long way to go. Well, thank you so much to Kobe, Jason, and Christian for contributing those questions. I really enjoyed our episode today. And you have anything to promote? Where can people connect with you? Yeah, obviously, message me on LinkedIn so I can bombard you with content <laughs> like I do everywhere else. Spam everyone to hell. And um, yeah, no, thank you very much for your time. It was it was interesting to, to go over those questions. There is big changes on the horizon, but what I will say is that people need to relax a little bit. As long as you have a, a good strategy focused on the customer experience, then all these changes are not going to impact you huge amounts. It's mainly going to impact people who lack relevancy and context and aren't committed to providing a good customer experience. So if you're on the opposite end of the spectrum and you are committed to serving your customers, then you have much less to worry about and you have a brighter future. Right. That's an excellent piece of advice. Definitely follow Adam on LinkedIn. He really, really shares some of his playbook for free. So if you're doing this alone, you'll learn a lot from him. We will drop the link to his LinkedIn on the description. And also if people want to work with you, Magnet Monster will share that link as well. Adam, appreciate your time today. I enjoyed and learned a lot. If you found value in this episode, we appreciate it if you can consider rating us on Spotify or Apple. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to No Hacks Marketing. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate it if you can leave a rating on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Visit nohacksmarketing.com to subscribe.